come in then. Okay. All right. Uh, hello and welcome to Compulsive Reader Talks. I'm Magdalena Ball, and I'd like to begin by acknowledging the Awabakal people, the traditional custodians of the land where we are today, and to pay my respects to elders, both past and present. I'd like to introduce my guest, Adam Aiken, um, was born in London, spent his early childhood in Thailand and Malaysia. He's been a recipient of the Australia Council Paris Studio Residency, was visiting distinguished professor at the University of Hawaii, Manoa. He Oh, I could go on for ages with this um, bio. He co-edited the Contemporary Asian Australian Poets Anthology, Archipelago. Um, his latest essay, uh, his latest collection of poetry was shortlisted for the Kenneth Lesser Award and the Prime Minister's Literary Award. And uh, his memoir, A Hundred Letters Home, which he'll be um, talking about today, was published by Vagabond Press in 2016 and was listed for the ASAL Gold Medal. So Adam, welcome. It's a pleasure to talk to you. Thanks, Meg. It's a pleasure to talk to you, and thanks for inviting me. It's, it's wonderful to have you. So uh, can I ask you just please to begin the conversation with a brief reading? Yeah, sure. So this is from uh, the biography, 100 Letters Home. And this is uh, in the first, first 20 pages or so. Before I left Australia, I'd been seeing a doctor. There was something wrong with me, stomach pains anxiety, eating disorders. I'd been discussing my childhood with her. Questions of identity I never asked myself as a child were now not so incidental, and I had become hyper self-critical. Now in Thailand, I am still worrying about the issue. Who should I feel are my race, my kith and spiritual kin? I was worried about death and injury, car accidents. Why do the locals drive so fast? Their judgments inflamed by whiskey and their blind faith in the Buddha's protection. If they die in a car smash, their bodies need to be collected by special body snatchers who are not afraid of the ghosts of the half dead, those spirits ripped prematurely from their bodies. To put the half dead to rest, there are Buddhist organizations with a duty to collect the dead and sing prayers over them before delivering them to next of kin. Better then to be a pedestrian, the passengers and drivers shout out and tease. Then the pedestrians, the villagers, the locals shout out a reply and together they feel alive, noticed, welcomed. Me too, even if I am foreign, why argue? With the doctor, I talk about Thailand, about the family, about my parents, about writing. Doctor, doctor says, shall we talk of children, of being a father, of marriage? Perhaps you don't feel this is quite the time. Me. No, of course, it is time. I'm ready. But I feel that to write about Asia, I'm no different to a war correspondent who is unable to settle down at home. My future offers no certainty and children seem impossible. I'm reading a novel in which the narrator, a war correspondent, says to himself, I will marry and have kids and live in a boring safe place if I don't get myself blown up by a landmine in the meantime. She will have my children, my M, but they will be other men's children. She might lose me and then the kids will be orphans. Eurasians condemned to a lifetime of looking for a father they can trust 
someone who won't get blown up or suffer from nightmares or hear helicopters hovering over their heads every time they go out to buy milk. In my dream, M pleads to me every night, rescue me and I will set you free. Thank you so, for that. Yeah. So, Thank you. So that, that's in this uh, chapter called Mindfulness. Mm. Yes. Uh, so the book, the book is memoir, of course, and, and, you know, it's quite unusual in many respects and that it is very much a hybrid. Um, and as the, the chapter that you just read is a, a pretty good indication of, you know, some of it is, is letters, as the title would indicate, um, you know, some of it is epistemological, but some of it is also, um, a, or epistol pistolary, <laughs> but some of it is also um, recollections, some of it is is almost academic style writing, you know, there's a, a, it's quite a hybrid of different forms. Yeah, yeah, you're quite right, Maggie, I think it was, um, it's, it's a mix because it was written over such a long period of time, I really started it in the mid 90s and only finished it uh, a few years ago. And um, I'm not a very, uh, like a, a fluent, I'm not, a, certainly never will be a novelist. I don't have the ability to, to sort of stay in the same voice or the same form for a long extended period. I'm a poet, really, and a bit of a kind of, you know, modernist poet. And I use a lot of materials and fragments and documents. I'm very fond of documentary poetry, as for example. So... Mm. Um, the, the, the letters it's based on are the real ones that my father uh, received and sent. Both There was a set he sent to his mother when he was in Thailand as a young businessman in the late 50s. And there was a set of letters that she sent back. And there really was 100 letters all numbered and packaged up, which I, had the, I was allowed to read. So, yeah. Um, yeah, and as you say in your review of the book, the the doctor is 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 fictional. But I actually was seeing a, a psychiatrist for a few years, but not really about my family. But it, uh, if you've ever had therapy, you talk about all sorts of stuff, you know. Mm, so course. I thought I'd I'd, I'd I'd use that opportunity, that experience, to extend the. Um, extend and make make have a bit of play with with the idea of memory and tell talking you know the talking cure um trying to use your memory to cure yourself of whatever worries you've got yes and so, yet the, the book confronts quite head-on the limits of memory as well i mean if you don't try and as you say you don't try and construct um, a, a simple linear linear narrative that you know kind of begins with birth and ends with death and you know proceeds in an orderly fashion. It's a it's a um, it's more like life really in that you know we reconstruct at, almost at every moment um, our, our sense of identity and and even reconstruct the continuity in different ways as we bring in different experiences. Mm. Yeah, and I, I think I mean you. I, I certainly read a lot of stuff about memory and about Roland Barthes, uh, Camera, Lucida, you know, about rereading and interpreting old photos. I love that book. Um, mm. 
but I love the way he writes about it in such a personal way because a lot of the poet the photos he writes about are about his dead mother and, and he's sort of grieving about that. Um, but also I, I, it started out as an exercise in ekphrasis, trying to write about photos that I had, a lot of great photos that my father and his advertising friends took of that period of his life and my mother's period of his, of that time when they were in the, between 1958 and say 65 or something. Mm. And, uh, and some of those photos make their way into the book too, as the kind of artifacts around which some of the narrative is built. Yeah, exactly. And, and what I found, I discovered myself was a technique <laughs> where I would, would look at the photos and I could write the descriptions down whilst looking at them. And then I'd put them away and try and re remember them and write without looking at them and I found that there were, I made such slippages in interpretation of, about what I'd seen that I realized it was actually a really nice thing to chart to, to document that that you know what was my mother wearing a pink bikini or a blue one so I couldn't remember the slide that I'd seen and I went back to it and so I wanted a narration, a narration of that. Uh, re, it's re, like recreating the, the, the photograph, but also the time it was taken. Trying to guess the context, trying to fill in the story. But part of my problem, and also probably a gift of my parents, was they didn't remember either very much. So you fill yes. in for. But this is this is something again that I think you you talk about in the book. This fluid subject position. This, uh, this notion of, uh, you know, uh, the hero's journey being an attempt to fix an identity um, at the same time as identity is always in, in flux. Yeah, I'll, I'll just turn off my apps. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, everything is, is complicated by the fact that, that uh, I, uh, my own childhood wasn't a simple growing into into uh, a solid, a, a stable, a stable cultural identity because I was, you know, I moved from where I was born in Britain, um, spent some time as a child in Thailand and Malaysia and went to international schools there and then came to Australia when I was seven and a half. Uh, and in each of those places, you know, if life is different. People are different. The way people saw me was different. Uh, so I kind of, it, this, this does come out of kind of being someone who didn't have, couldn't, I don't, I think a lot of us are like that, but most of us aren't, haven't been able to, haven't been moved around the world that much, except maybe by force, like refugees, for example. So. Mm. Yeah, so there's a whole notion um, of identity comes into it too. And, you know, what is inside? What is outside? You know, what does it mean to inhabit a body, to inhabit a culture, to inhabit a space? Uh, and again, I think these are all ideas that you you seem to play with quite quite beautifully, quite poetically, I think, in the book. Yeah. And it's partly, you know, trying to, trying to understand my own mother uh, and her 
what she was going through moving from Thailand originally to Britain to Australia um, and and trying to look at it trying to to see it from a from her point of view as an Asian uh, mother uh, in a in a west moved to western displaced it's about displacement mm. and diaspora um, and then my own it's my own biographical move was after university I went to Thailand in age 21 or 22 and had this notion I could could really become a understand what it was to be a Thai person so that's that is one of the key explorate explorations that one of the goals of the narrative is to to answer that question can I become somebody else <laughs> can I become a Thai person yeah or is that is that a coming home for you or is it not? <laughs> yeah, and I quickly, as you, you see in, in, your, in your review of it, that I found it, it was a, it's always bound to be a failure because, you know, you never really uh, can give up what you've, what you've been before. You always carry around a lot of, in your body, in your mind, in your memory, the person you were before you decided to be somebody else. <laughs> yes, but also the you know, river the river is gone, <laughs> that you can't step back into it. Yeah. Um, so that was great for me to to have that real experience. But I did, I did write a lot about it in poetry uh, in the 80s and 90s. Yes. But, uh, yeah. Yeah. Um, of course, my father's own, it's, there are these parallels, so these interlinked lives, my father being someone who was quite unusual for a white Australian male, a baby boomer born in the late 30s to end up not so much unusual to work in an, in an Asian country or ex-colonial place, but actually to marry an Asian woman was considered by his own family to be to a bit radical and a, a bit unacceptable. So he was, he'd gone through all this uh, struggle to find happiness to, with my mother. So it's partly their, the failure for their, for them to have found happiness. And yeah, it's, it's sort of, again, me kind of playing setting up the idea of rom romantic marriage and there's this beautiful picture of them on a bridge and with me and it's sort of very <laughs> renaissance you know the baby's in the middle and my mum looks like an asian mary and <laughs> dad looks like a saint i don't know it's a um, wholesome image yeah yeah it's it's iconic and uh, mm. i'm glad i had found that image I'm glad someone took it. So, <laughs> yes, uh, that's memory is, is so bound up with chance that somebody was there. Someone took, recorded a, a document. Someone remembered it. Yes, um, and then I guess those images that you you know you carry you carry, um, and they may be like snapshots from a photo album, or they might be snapshots of memory. They you know they kind of become the narrative for you that you you piece together. Right, but the, I, I guess as you say, there's a chance element as well. If the photo had been of an argument, it might have been a different picture. Mm. 
Well, there was an interesting, I'd quickly mention it, that I did try and publish a part of the book which had pictures of my father and his friends at an at a office party. And my father and his friends were dressed in drag. And um, the pictures, there's a couple of them, and they were great pictures. But this, this mag journal, uh, it was actually Berg publisher, a, a big US art journal, didn't want to publish it because they thought I could get sued for defamation. By your dad. Um, <laughs> or the others. By my, by, yeah, technically by whoever could be identified in the, in the pictures. But the, this, this was 1958. And so they, did, they rejected the story in the end. So mm. the, it was a photo essay. That was very disappointing, and but also a learning process. I thought, well, maybe maybe I have to be more careful about what I'm revealing and in, interpreting and what I'm putting out there to the public. And making the private public is is fraught. I think anybody doing biography has to really seriously consider that the consequences. Yes, um, well, I suppose too. You you know. You, You've only got your artifacts and your piecing together, which is unique in its perspective. There's a whole range of other stories that you're corralling into this one. Yeah, and and um, but I, I found that the only way to keep the whole thing, I think trying to keep it together and give it a pleasing structure or co coherence, I had to really come back to the personal, to my to the autobiographical to keep it together um even though because i i got the early feedback from martin edmund actually who's a great ficto uh ficto critical ficto but biofic person whatever <laughs> see how that stuff but he said that we want to know more about you the author and i hadn't i was so fixated on uh, other people that I wasn't saying much about myself. Mm. Yes, interestingly, every single piece I thought, to my mind anyway, um, stood on its own. So I, I, there was a, a you know very clear conclusion at the end of each each of those pieces, and I felt that they definitely could have been written uh, as standalones. Did did you do that? Were you initially just writing a series of essays? Initially, yeah. Mm. So. The earliest one is the King's Cross one, uh, where it's it's based on my mother going to see, uh, having a kind of fling with somebody. I don't know how serious it was in King's Cross after she'd been separated from my father. And she took my brother and I, and I was about 11 or 12. My brother was 10 or, or 9 or 10. And we, uh, we really did discover a, a revolver uh, and in his in his bedside cupboard, at which point we were sent out onto the streets and not come back for an hour. <laughs> um, and that was that got published in Picador very early on. So that was very encouraging mm. because it could be taken as a short story, but it was actually quite real. And then uh, I tried to write more like that and I found it really quite hard after a while. I don't know why it didn't just, it didn't seem to come come quickly until, you know, and the last piece I really think wrote was 
the end, which I won't talk about too much, but that could only come about because I discovered certain things in Trove in the online newspapers because mm. I did a huge amount of uh, archival search because I wanted to find out about my father's relatives and I discovered this event in my great-grandfather's life that must have affected all the family and mm. destroyed the family fortunes. And, and I thought, this could be great for an ending. <laughs> I well, thought, it's, a th it's thematic too, isn't it? This the whole notion of, you know, what do we inherit? Yeah. Both from a traumatic that, point of view and, and otherwise. That's it. I found that, that, that the, the key word is inheritance. And it, it's, it's, yeah, and my father was very... He was disowned by his own father. He never received anything, he, he, he says. And, you know, it's all linked up to his marriage to my mother and uh, all that sort of stuff. So, um, but, yeah, it's, 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 it's also I wanted to write something. I, I didn't know I came from an eighth-generation eighth Australian family on my father's side. So I didn't know until I started trying to do this book what the past was I didn't know at all makes my father didn't know <laughs> mm. and yet yeah when you found it you know it, it, it feels like it at least in the way in which you wrote it in the book in your uh, factional way <laughs> that there is mm. a um a, there's a reverberation from it even when you didn't know it that it was it was kind of weaving its way through the the, the sort of mm. lives of the people you know it had its not just the loss of the fortune but the the impact of the act itself had a you know a reverberation through time in a way that's almost it, mystical no oh, well I, I mean yeah whether I mean, I'm very interested in inter intergenerational trauma theories and, and narratives, and I think you are too. Um, and whether whether there's a, a mystical or uh, spiritual, yeah, there's definitely a kind of... Or even just a genetic. <laughs> yeah, it's just all, all of it's mixed up. I mean, there's certainly genetic tendencies that last through generations um and um but also in australian literature i wanted to explore um something in australian literature that i hadn't read much about which was about fathers and sons so mm. yes a bit more you know um donald hall was memoir was quite inspirational he wrote a lot about his father who he hated <laughs> i did my I didn't hate my father. He's dead now, but I never never hated him. Mm. But I think Don Hall, his the energy, and I learned the energy to write about this stuff has to be passionate. Uh, but you have to control it. You know, I wrote some I've stuff that I threw out was just not good because it was way too emotional. <laughs> too well, there's a there's a tenderness as well to, to, towards both of your parents, which I think comes through. I mean, it almost feels to me like a reckoning or a forgiveness that um, yeah. the book is driving towards. The sense of um, you know forgiving them is kind of forgiving yourself. It's a you know it's a it's a way of almost a coming of age to say, okay, uh, I, I'm going to end it here mm. with forgiveness. Yeah, yeah, and it, it's it's funny. It's not a it's not a moral question like did they were they of course they didn't do anything very very wrong you know there's no crime or it's more like the the forgiveness 
you know, as a child, you, you, you might grow up with this, this because of the, your parents not getting on, you, you get, become frustrated and angry and you think you've missed out and other kids seem happier than you and all that. Um, so, well, there's unmet, um, unmet needs or whatever it is, you know, he wasn't there. That's right. And um, in a way, his not being there, was, he was always there, but not, not physically there. So that's how I've, I kind of have <laughs> rationalised it. Otherwise, it would be a kind of stereotypical indictment of, of, a, of a person who wasn't complex. And I wanted to avoid that. I wanted to make my father really complex and mm. hard to figure mysterious uh, yes i love the the fact too that the key artifacts um are are missing <laughs> the burnt letters you know the the, the the way in which you would remove the artifact to write about it uh, it's almost like the, the the one block of letters is actually yeah. already removed yeah now that was that was great that you you picked that up um um for me, it was just, it was a practical problem too, though. And a thing I wanted was that what was missing or unrecoverable, even to the point where I could have perhaps recovered some of it by contacting my uncle and, and his wife, who apparently inherited the artifacts, because I wanted to get hold of my grandfather's mili military stuff. I don't know why. I guess got you know military stuff. I wanted to maybe write about that, but then it, as you write, as you say, you don't need to write about it all. Uh, you know, it's let it let the let let us imagine what what all that might have looked like. You know, it's all well, yeah. It's, all, it's an interesting it's, question again, and I, I think it's one that you don't you allow the um, the poetic inconsistencies to sit, which is that mm -hmm. you know what is more concrete, what is more real if you hold the letter in your hand or the memory of the letter or the experience or the perception or the rebuilding, you know, all of these different things, you know, may hold a, a grain of truth and neither, none of them really have um, a hierarchy. No, no, that's a good way of putting it. No hierarchy. Um, yeah, so it, it, uh, it certainly, it, it, it makes it a challenge to know when when to actually stop, uh, when to be silent. I suppose um, when not what not to reveal. Of course, uh, um, yeah, that's. I think there there's quite a few things I I, I I won't reveal that I know, but I don't. It wouldn't have added much if I'd revealed them. It would, you know. Well, they can always be material for your other work anyway. <laughs> That's right. I mean, so, so let's just quickly um, talk about uh, some of your other work, in, in particular Archipelago, which is, I guess, published a year after 100 Letters Home? Yeah, yeah, very much a year or two. Yep, yep. And, and we'd be cut off from Europe for a few years now. Um, do you think France continues to hold the same place for Australian writers that it did when you wrote that? Uh, look, that's a good question. It's, it's, I mean, it's, there, there's, uh, it depends. I, I did read a review of, of Archipelago and 
it raised that question of what the French would think of this book. And uh, I kind of shrugged my shoulders and I thought, oh, I didn't write it for them. <laughs> it's not in French. Uh, uh, though I'd be, I have tried to get them translated and uh, I don't know, I, I can't say what it, what reception it would have over there. But for here, um, yeah, look, a lot of, I don't think, I don't know, a lot of readers have, a lot of Australians are fascinated by, like everybody with, with a certain idea of French culture. Uh, the French, the French mythos, the, the mythologization, mythology of French culture that the French promote, you know, the vineyards, the, the, the poetry, <laughs> but the poetry is, is what I am really interested in. Mm. Um, looking at the country through the poetry, even Gilets Jaunes, that the, the you know that protest movement, they use Rambo's poetry on their leaflets. They give out <laughs> leaflets, protest poetry on them. That's lovely, charming. I mean, we don't do that really uh, as Not much. Not on our protest leaflets, no. <laughs> I think what fascinates Australians is that French propensity to to be violent and 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 revolutionary and angry and go out onto the streets <laughs> or, or passionate uh, in any case. Yeah. Uh, but at the same time, there's this other idea of France as being leisurely um, live. You know, you live. You know, it's the la, you know la vie quotidienne, the ordinary life. Um, the the it's not so much luxury. I mean, that's the French France that I'm interested in too. The village where we have a, a house and and relatives. It's very ordinary. It's just it just happens to have a fake chateau in down the road because somebody from Paris decided to build one there in 1880. Uh, but the village had no sewage, no running water till 1960 1970. Uh, and there's still people in the village whose families have lived there forever, you know, and, um, you know, sometimes I don't like their attitudes. They're a bit right wing and they're not very, they're a bit suspicious of me as a foreigner and all that. Uh, uh, then there's the expats. So that part of France is quite, it's, there's nothing pure about France. That's what I like about it. It's, you know, um, and there's also the other thing I'm very interested in, which might interest Australians, is the, you know, the whole wartime history and the resistance and all that. Um, but that's that's interesting because that's something that it's almost taboo to talk about with anybody. Survivors don't talk about. You you have to really get to know people before they will ever tell you what happened to them in the war and all that stuff. Mm. So it's like. I'm very interested in archaeology as well. And there, there was a great archaeologist living in the village called uh, uh, Mr. Ratz, and he was Jewish as well, which was very uh, important because there weren't many Jewish people living in, in San Victor. Anyway, he was an archaeologist, a, a Greco-Roman archaeologist, but he also wrote a beautiful history of the village, you know, going back to 
pre-classical Neolithic times. And in France, in these little villages, lots of people are village historians. They take it incredibly seriously, which I don't know, might interest Australians. Mm. Yes, I, I, do, I do find when I was there that it's a, it's a very different sense of at least the, the two, the two you know, world wars because it's so, everything is, is so physically around you. You know, you can see the, the shape of the hillside, you know, being modeled or you can, you know, all the artifacts are there in front of your eyes rather than something that happened in a different location to where you live. And, and Maggie, that can be a, can cause writer's block. Uh, I think I've, like when I was at the Paris studio, I found it, Paris so over de, overly determined with meaning and, you know, it's already supposedly all there. What do, what else as an Australian writer, what can I add? You know, maybe your, that's what the room. Your artifacts have to be removed. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, so that's, so yeah, that's the challenge with the poetry at the moment is to make something new from it. Um, I want it to, to feel authentic. I want to avoid cliches. I don't just want to be ironic and I don't want to just be uh, satirical either. Um, mm. But it really, I need to be there. I don't think I can do it from here. Mm. Interesting. So but, are, are you working on something at the moment? That... Yeah, yeah. We, a new book's coming out from Giramondo soon. Oh, wonderful. September or early next year. And it's 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 a bit like Archipelago, but uh, it's from what pe people have said, it's more, it's actually lighter and sketch. It's, it's not, there's nothing serious, very serious about the resistance or about, about people being slaughtered in the revolution or my, you know, there's no, there's no re recreations of, of pogroms or any of that. It's no, there's very, very, it's much more, as I said, ordinary. Yeah. But, but, trying to be more like a sketch, a sketchbook rather than a grand painting, you know. Mm. Oh, oh. And then there's some, quite a few poems that are closer to home and a few old things about Hawaii uh, and quite a few things about my dad. So he, who, because this, a lot of these, the poems in it are, uh, come after his death. So he died in 2017. So mm. I had a chance to kind of reflect and write a few of those. Mm. It's, it's mm. so interesting how the death of a parent changes the relationship mm. that you have with them. It, it continues, but it changes. Yeah. And the book's called Revenant, or Re in French it'd be Les, Les Revenants. The it's hard to translate, but in English there is a word revenant, revenant, mm. but it doesn't quite mean the same. But it, it could be a ghost, it could be a spirit, but I think of it more like the embodied memory of uh, of people gone past. Uh, there's a couple of spooky poems about dreams I had, where where the village ghosts come and look at me in in the new house when I slept there one day. <laughs> So I do kind of believe in some part of me that there are ghosts there and there's a spooky cat that comes and watches me uh, every day and we start to 
have a relationship with no words, you know, kind of, that was nice because I don't write about animals much. But, um, you can get, it's something I'd like to, to feel here, but uh, it's, it's because that uh, France is, it's quite a, you know, a mysterious place still, mm. you know, yeah. I don't know why. Oh, well, wonderful. We'll have to look for it. So I think we're probably out of time, but I, you know, thank you so much, Adam, for joining yeah, me today. It was, it was wonderful. Chat with you and uh, good luck with everything yourself. And uh, I look forward to your next book, whether poetry or prose, whatever. Thank you.